about the things people love to hate and hate to love and we're your hosts shelby and matt yes and i'll be doing some internal monologue voiceovers <laughs> the entire like time this bitch again she can't even get not my this name. dumb bitch like, shelby doing she doing doesn't this? know a damn thing about yeah. podcasting oh i'm sorry what's your name oh, <laughs> i don't need to know <laughs> you'll just be the- <laughs> you'll just be the dumb girl on the podcast for the rest of my life <laughs> Uh, no, I'm excited for this episode. We're doing a double feature. Uh, congrats to us and all our listeners. Um, we couldn't decide on what to do. And In there the wasn't a lot of spirit of captive state and five <laughs> feet apart. We've also done it more recently. We have, but that's, like, that's one of our, our top five yeah, episodes ever, iconic, I think. iconic, honestly. Uh, these ones make more sense together because they, they star women and were written by women. So congrats to us. Yay, um, women. <laughs> We're talking about Luckiest Girl Alive and Catherine Called Birdie, two very similar films in tone and execution and <laughs> style. And they both have to do with material. marriage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll be honest. So um, I pitched this to Matt. Uh, he really liked Catherine Called Birdie. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. But then I was like, well, I've heard Lucky's Girl Alive. You know, this is coming out on Netflix. It's a book I read. It's Mila Kunis. Like, why not? Let's see how this goes. Oh, and these are both book adaptations. Yeah. Yeah. So Neither lots of, of similarities. Neither of which I've read, but <laughs> a good pair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess we're going to try talking about Lucky's Girl Alive first. Um, you know, so that we can end on maybe a lighter note considering the topic material. Uh, but Lucky's Girl Alive where to start it's based on a novel by jessica knoll and it it came out in 2015 so right around like the gone girl girl on the train craze and it was well received like it's a really well received and well-reviewed book um it's basically about this woman who's an editor at a new york publication who's trying to like prove that she's got her life together she's marrying the perfect guy she's headed towards the perfect job she has money she has wealth she has prestige and she did it all in spite of a dark past uh involving a school massacre in high school and so it touched on like a lot of like topical points at the time but then also played into this sort of psychological thriller where it's clear that the truth is going to come out. Will it ruin her life? Will that be for the best type thing? And so knowing all that, like I knew everything that happened. I was prepared for the uh, material as it would play out. But I'm curious, what were you going in expecting and and how did that play out for you? So <laughs> I had, I had like once after I watched it, I, I was like, wait, this is based on a book. And then I looked up the book and I do remember like the cover of it. Yeah. But I think that I sort of dismissed the covers kind of ugly. And I yeah, feel like I, yeah. I dismissed it as like, a, Oh, trash, you know, whatever book when it came out and mm. didn't really <laughs> like look into what it was about at all, just because of the cover. And so I hadn't, but even then I like, I did not realize that this movie was based on that book. So mm-hmm. I went in completely blind. And early on, you get these like 
sort of uh, like pre- Mila Kunis is playing the main character. She's doing a lot of internalized monologuing about things where she's sort of I mean, like almost constant Just the entire movie. Incessant. Where she, where things are happening and then she's like sort of telling us the watcher like actually this isn't like this like I'm pretending that I like this person but actually I don't. And it's giving like a um, sort of a like a Stepfordy wives kind of feel of like, I have everything together. Like this is my perfect life, but actually there's a deep dark past. And we keep getting these weird sort of moments where she holds knives or it's like she stabs yeah. somebody, but then she doesn't really, it's just like in her mind. And so I was like, okay, what is like, what is going on here? Like clearly there was a murder or something like interesting. At some point we get this, uh, uh, like it starts to be insinuated that there was uh, like some kind of school shooting involved, but that she somehow survived the school shooting. And, and I was like, wait, was she the shooter? Did she kill somebody? Like, and I don't, I don't think that even at the beginning, I realized that it was like a shooting necessarily. Yeah. I thought it was just like something had happened at the school that was violent and that maybe she was involved or she was covering up something. So I was like intrigued in a sort of, Ooh, this is gonna be like a fun thriller kind of way with <laughs> uh, like a with like a twist at the end yeah. because I feel like this genre of the girl on the train, woman in the window, it's always like there's there's some kind of like in the last minute where oh you snap and actually it's all different. Yeah. So that's what I was like looking for. <laughs> also, the I don't know if you watched this show. Um that came out last year. I think it was on the CW or maybe it was on um, like American family. Let me look this up, but the young version of oh, cruel summer, it was on free. Mm. But so the young version of Mila Kunis, uh, Shiara Aurelia, I guess is how you mm-hmm. pronounce her name. She was in this show on Freeform called cruel summer, which was also a like, flashback sort of there was some kind of trauma in the high school and it was a Mm. cool like she was in the flashback she was a nerd but then she was a cool kid and it was sort of like how did she get there and someone was maybe murdered and someone was kidnapped and so that was very like saucy freeform energy so that's again what I was bringing to this and when then I mean I guess to get to spoilers because (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna yeah, no, let's do unpack it. this but yeah. you get to the scene where mm-hmm. she's like gang raped at a yeah. party by multiple people that's yeah. very horrific it's very graphic yeah and uh, just like tonally that scene feels like it should or like that that subject matter feels like it should be in a much more like serious uh, like sort of somber movie and we get that scene and then we sort of switch back immediately to this like I'm a thriller writer in New York and like a magazine editor and I was I just felt very jarring mm-hmm. and then a few scenes later you get this also very graphic school shooter scene yeah 
And then again, we switch back to sort of this like glossy, like I'm in beautiful gowns, like walking around New York, like telling people to fuck off sort of energy. And I was just like these, like this medium is not serving this serious Mm. subject matter. If you're going to do a movie that's about a gang rape and a school shooting, you have to take that more seriously. Like, if like these aren't fun topics. These aren't, like, jokey topics. You can't just sort of slot them into a, like, glossy Mila Kunis mystery and mm. feel like it works. I felt like the whole thing was very in poor taste. Mm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think, obviously, that was something that I saw on Twitter and, like, and reviews a lot is that there should be more of a sort of trigger warning because one, the gang rape is not implied at all in the beginning. Um, It is very much like, oh, something at the school happened. Oh, you survived this school shooting? Like, oh my gosh, wow. And so the gang rape is the surprise of like why she was involved in this school shooting tangentially and kind of why people blame her for it in some ways. Um, And I will say like, I think reading the book gave me context that I was able to um, kind of uh, project onto the film probably. Um, But yeah, it's not necessarily a well-made film. There's not the, you know, citing it to Gone Girl is impossible because Gone Girl, Jessica Knoll did write this script just like Gillian Flynn wrote the Gone Girl script. But Gone Girl has a very distinct style. Um, The the artistry of the film and even with something that is usually reliant on the internal monologues of characters in a book that movie at that adaptation is able to present the um the happenings the feelings without having the voiceover constantly whereas this it very much was just mila kunis walking around like ranting about whatever she was seeing at the time um and so there wasn't like a great voice there wasn't like a great um I don't know, kind of connecting thread to uh, guide us from flashback to present, flashback to present, um, because it was so much she's narrating when she's in the present, but then you have these realistic flashbacks. So I can see what you mean about it feeling like in poor taste, but I would argue that something that stood out for the book is this kind of you know, the theme of it is this walling up of trauma and refusing to engage with it because you want to put on a front, because you want to be polished. You want it to be in the past, something dark that you've just shuddered away. And now you're just like unbothered by it. You don't need to worry about it. You've already processed it. There's no need to focus on it. And I think that is kind of what was attempted here. I wouldn't argue that every movie about rape needs to be like, um, I don't know, like this sad black colored film that's just like, oh, this woman's like ready to slit her wrist at any moment. I think that a lot of women do learn to live with this kind of uh, compartmentalization that does feel like, whoa, what are we doing here? How can you just like carry on like this? Do I think it was executed perfectly here? No, but I don't necessarily think it was trying to be exploitative of these sort of uh, horrific events, I feel like it was a stylistic choice to make it kind of like the jarring, oh, whoa, how can you just go back to normal? And that leads to her sort of mental breakdown where she realizes she can't, she hasn't processed this, and she does need to kind of sit with it more. I I feel like, well, one, just as far as like the tone of it goes, like – 
I was thinking a decent amount in this while watching this about like promising young woman a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And like that obviously is dealing with a similar subject matter and has like some really fun, interesting, like vibrant ways of portraying it. Like, uh, so it's not, it's not like, you know, like a sad, like Jodi Picot novel sort of, type thing but it feels like it's it's taking everything like more seriously even as it's you know doing it in a way that's like bright colors and you know cotton candy and whatnot where this felt like it wasn't I don't like it it didn't feel like the the movie was like taking the subject matter as seriously as it needed to, or even like that the characters were. And then I also sort of didn't like the takeaway at the end, which I thought was kind of like, well, what you need to do is like monetize your trauma because by like Mm -hmm. sharing this story and sharing it like in a, in sort of like a buzzy way, I'm going to get this job and people are going to know who I am and I'm going to get like a step up in my career. And not to say that like, I mean, like these horrible things happen to her character. So like if, you know, if, if you can get something good out of something bad, like go for it. But also, I don't know, it, it, it just felt like very cavalier and kind of like just not as, I don't know, serious as I like it. Yeah. It just didn't feel it felt to me that the movie wasn't taking itself seriously enough in certain parts and that the characters weren't. And like you have Connie Britton's performance in here, which is like so campy and so over the top. There's just so much like goofiness going on in a lot of it Hmm. that I didn't feel like really was like paying enough dues to the people who would have gone through like either of those traumatic things, let alone the combination of the two of them. Well, um, so yeah, when the book came out, Jessica Knoll was like, yeah, I just thought of this. I wanted to write about it. Like I know people who have been like blah, blah, blah. And then uh, just a few years ago, she came out and wrote an essay for Lena Dunham's short lived, like um, what was it called? Kind of like uh, online newsletter. Um the Lenny letter. Oh, the Lenny letter, yeah. Yeah, and she admitted that Lucky's Girl Alive is a work of fiction, but its inspiration is not, and that she had herself been gang-raped in high school and wrote the book as sort of processing that for herself and how, you know, ironically, this book that is about someone kind of avoiding dealing with that was the same was the same process for her but that she got to a point where she couldn't keep dodging it she couldn't keep running from it she couldn't keep ducking from it and that she was scared that people wouldn't call what happened to her rape because for a long time no one did and that she couldn't keep looking at people looking at women who were like oh my gosh did you go through this too and telling them oh no i just made it up and so i think it's interesting this idea of like, oh, it's talking about monetizing on your um, pain. And I think it's hard um, because one, this movie clearly isn't to me saying that because she already gotten the job offer before writing this letter. And the movie makes a very 
pointed effort to say she needed to write this for herself to process it. And I think that's a reality for a lot of women dealing with sexual assault. We aren't allowed to talk about it. We aren't allowed to process it. And even in this movie, her relationship with her mother is so strained because she was told, like, this is your fault. How could you do this? You made these mistakes. Like, I don't even want to hear about it. I'm so ashamed of you type thing. And I think there is, like, a real um, trend or processing that happens where, you know, anyone going through trauma, but especially women dealing with sexual trauma in a society that does not embrace or acknowledge that usually – the writing of it, the sharing of it is powerful. And I think the cheesy, corny scene of this finale where it's like all these women leaving comments about their experience was meant to show that. I think other films have definitely done a better job, even thinking of TV shows like The Bold Type, um, which is very, very like silly network TV about, you know, they, they tackled this sort of subject in a couple episodes too. I think the shared experience of women being able to relate is the entire, you know, impetus of the Me Too movement, the Yes All Men movement. Like there's this thirst for women to tell their stories so that other women feel safe to tell theirs. Do I think this movie was executed perfectly in that? No. I think this movie's weakness was definitely in not allowing its characters time to feel real. Um, and that includes all the B the B-side characters, um, her fiance, her friend, her mother. Um, her editor, like there were all these moments where it felt like, oh, let's dig into that. Oh, let's unpack that. Let's like see that nuance. But this just felt like it was holding back its punches, except for in these like very realistic flashbacks, which were both the hardest to watch, but also the best acted, I think. Um, and so it's kind of interesting, uh, I, I don't think this movie is a well-made movie, but I don't think it's a problematic movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure I think it's, like, problematic. I, yeah, I guess I just think, like, the, I wish that with such important, like, because I think everything you're saying is obviously true, and I think that, like, everything that this movie or the writer is, like, trying to say is good it's just like the the vehicle that it's coming by in this Mila Kunis movie is like not quite hitting the marks where it needs to and like the parts of it that like a lot of it I it has the vibe of like a Bride Wars or like a Jennifer (laughs) Lopez like that that movie where she's like trying to fake her way into the corporate job or whatever like there's a lot of scenes I feel like, especially in the, it will in the like adult section with Mila Kunis that just don't feel like realistic. And also, I think the fact that her best friend is played by like the, the dumb girl from Succession, it just like it just doesn't. Yeah, the, interesting. It, it feels so like separated to me. Of the the flashbacks are so realistic and then the new stuff is so like hokey and I don't know I it just I I mean I was also like watching this on my laptop while I was doing other things because I was (laughs) expecting like to it to be a you know sort of whodunity kind of thing so maybe if I had like seen this been like in a theater and watching it in that way it would have struck me as more powerful but (laughs) 
No, I mean, this is like not I mean, well reviewed. I mean, it's also reviewed. gotten bad reviews. Yeah, it's like 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, 54 on Metacritic, like mostly bad reviews that argue that like, yeah, um, this could have been better because the book was better. You know, like I think it's like, it's not a <laughs> well-crafted film. And I do think it is, it does come down to this sort of like thin drawing of the characters in the present. I didn't get the sense that it was like a, not that you're saying it was a comedy, but just like I didn't feel like it was overly polished in the but New I York also, scenes. But I also wonder if that difference is like you also sort of knew what it was going to be going into it, where I didn't. So yeah. you were like keyed into. But it wasn't like slapsticky or even like it wasn't even like like it felt like right away she's like this angry girl, angry woman who's like hiding something and is like is like annoyed by everyone around her. Yeah, so it but, felt like it was like. But I thought sort of like in a like funny sort of way. I mean, she's talking about having an eating disorder and like shoveling three pieces of pizza in her mouth in one of the most disturbing uh, rapid eating scenes I've ever seen in a Well, movie. yeah, but she's also talking about like, oh, how like I have the job of I have to write about blowjobs at my, yeah. you know, office. And like, are you going to get the the job at the New York Times? Like it. It felt very like studio movie right. in like that regard, and then yeah. yeah, and then like delve and like into... having the in laws who are talking about going to the gun range, even right. though they yes. have yes, a... right, yeah. I do feel like there were some moments that are like, okay, let's press that button better. Um, like even I think one of the best like potential fights was when the boyfriend is like, you used to be fun as she's like talking about this serious assault. And I think that was like, that was like a gut punch to me, but then it just kind of like ends. And so it did feel like there were moments where there could have been more like truthful examination of these relationships, but it just kind of focused, it focused its serious efforts in the past. And I think that did, it was detrimental to the film as a whole. And I just feel like, I am trying to think of a movie that I have seen that's not like a Holocaust movie or something that is dealing with a more traumatic series of events <laughs> than this one. And I yeah, don't sad. think that it was given like the weight that it. That's true. To be. Like the sh- school shooting finale piece felt like under examined because it, even in her, she kind of has this final moment. Um, of facing her rapist and being like, I was a victim too. like, just say the word rape. But it's like, okay, well, let's unpack like what it felt like to be targeted as like a worth, worth saving by this like school shooter and then killing him like with a knife, you know, like I, I don't remember how that was explained or like weaved in, in the book. Like, I don't have details on that, but it did feel kind of like that was kind of shrugged off for us. I'm like, that's a big drama to, like, kill someone. And, like, I think the interesting piece is that that man went, that kid went on the school shooting rampage because he was sick of these rich kids getting away with assault and rape and abuse. And so he targets these same people that hurt her and his other friend. And so it is, like, this weird, like, oh, shoot, like, what, what is, what a unfortunate connection and like what you know to to sympathize with his motivations and like her guilt of like wanting to see these people dead but then also feeling like I don't want them to die this way type thing that's all so interesting and like sad and 
provocative, but it's kind of like very quickly shoved in there at the end. And you're not given the payoff of her even addressing that part with the only left survivor of her rapist, who she saved. It's so complicated. Yeah. And and there's so many emotions. And I, yeah, they just like, it all feels like a little cheap. And then even at the end, she like... She sort of. The ending scene was so dumb. Well, she sort of. Well, I mean, not even the end end scene, but it's like she tricks the guy who's surviving into like saying that he raped her while she records him. But then you, and then she writes the article about it. Yeah, but it's never clearly stated if she like used the tape or like if she released that. We we never got a scene of like him getting arrested or anything yeah and then the ending which i think (laughs) i think the last scene like just goes to you know sort of under or like state as a symbol of like everything that i have an issue with in this movie is like she's leaving i don't know like rockefeller center or whatever and some woman who's a journalist at forbes or something comes up to her and is like you know you the guy who attacked you did so much for these different groups of people and you by indicting him have like really like what have you done like what you have got you your done? 15 You're minutes of a, fame you know yeah. sort of like a, seeking attention and then she like walks away and then comes back and mila kunis delivers this like very uh she says, I'm sorry, what's your name? Oh, wait, I don't need to know. You'll always just be the bitch I yelled at on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> and then it's like, roll credit. Yeah. And it just feels cheap. like so, so cheap in comparison to like everything we've been through yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. sure, I'm sure that felt like Im- like vindicating to her in that moment. And I think like the idea was like powerful, but like it's yeah, she's finally getting out of her own head and saying what she wants to say IRL. <laughs> but it sort of feels like something stupid that Arnold Schwarzenegger would say yeah. at the end of like a an action movie. Yeah, it was not a good line. It wasn't pithy. It wasn't clever. It was kind of like okay, <laughs> congrats. <laughs> it's like I compare that to the end scene in again, like promising young woman. It's like. It's not necessarily like a macabre, macabre like uh, like oh let's play like a slow sad song and like look right. off into the sunset, but it's still something that has like a lot of weight to it. Yeah, even as it is creative, which yeah. I mean is probably why that movie got Oscar nominated and this movie has a forty something <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. But you know, just saying, still number one in the U.S. on Netflix. So, congrats. Well, I was also wondering like. I was like, I wonder what the general, like, fan reaction to this movie is. Like, because there have to be a decent number of people who went into it like me and then were sort of surprised as to where this went. Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be, like, a fun murder mystery or something. (laughs) And then it was not. Well, that's your fault for thinking Gone Girl is fun murder mystery, okay? These are – these – you know, you talk about profiting off of off of trauma. Like this is a genre that shouldn't be fun, even well, if I it mean, is. That's every murder mystery, <laughs> but yes. But yeah, I think um, what I saw is people either really loved it, like thought, "Oh wow, like way to deal with this such an important issue, make all your boys watch this type thing," which I think just speaks to how desperate we are for yes for shows and stories that like 
take assault seriously and not just like, you know, the reality of, of teen boys thinking what they do doesn't matter type thing. And so, yeah, I think some people were like very much, oh, I had to turn that off. That should have had a bigger trigger warning uh, because it's really, it is really graphic. Um, I don't think it was necessary the way they filmed it. It's very hard to watch. And frankly, I don't love filming sexual assault scenes because it feels exploitative on multiple levels as far as the actor and people involved and then the audience and then the rehashing of trauma for people who have been through blah, 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 blah. But I just think it it does deserve a stronger trigger warning because it is very, very in your face. Um, it does not hold back. And I think it could have served itself better if it had tried to engage beyond the surface level themes and dug into some of the more interesting connections it was attempting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, yeah, I really remember enjoying the book when I read it. It's kind of a more interesting feminist take on a genre that does get kind of overplayed at times. But um, the better film of the two... The yes. Catherine called Birdie, uh, very different, very different tonally, structurally, uh, enjoyability. Um, this is kind of like a charming, whimsical, hard to describe film by Lena Dunham, who I do not like, and I resist enjoying anything she does. Uh, but she got me here. I'll admit it. I'll yes. Admit it. So this is based on a book. That I think yeah, it was like, like a, a mid- book. so yeah, like a children's book, sort of middle grade, like uh, yeah. like American Girl doll, I think, sort of energy. <laughs> like, like, is that? Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't read it. I haven't read it. No, but yeah, a sort of a middle grade uh, chapter book is what we yeah. call them. Yeah, about like a girl who lived in you know like the twelve hundreds or whatever, like in a castle with her mom and dad and her brother, and sort of like the, the life that they leave and. I would imagine that Lena Dunham like did oh a gosh, decent amount of heavy lifting and reworking this into a movie script because I feel like those books like like this felt very fresh and very like nuanced in a lot of ways that I can't imagine that that novel was delivering. You back know what? In I did read that. Yeah, you're right. I just remembered the cover. I definitely read that. But yeah, it's very different. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So the basic premise of the movie, at least, because I haven't read the book, is like her family needs money. It's a tale as old as time in classic literature. The family needs money. We got to marry off the daughter. But she's sort of a like mischievous kind of tomboy energy. She likes running around and, you know, playing with her friends. She's also what like 14 doesn't want to get married Uh, like obviously by our um sort of modern view like should not be getting married is way too young and they're trying to marry her off to all manner of sort of like younger men but also like older men people way like much older than her but because they need money for the family and so they keep bringing these various suitors to the castle and Birdie keeps, uh, you know, sort of in like a Home Alone-esque series of <laughs> pranks, getting rid of them one by one. And it's a, it's so cute. It's really charming. And I think 
a lot more clever than I thought it was going to be. I went and saw, like, I, again, I'm also not a Lena Dunham fan and thought, oh, I don't really want to go see this, but I had to see it for work because I write the Amazon Prime movie Mm. streaming guide and that's the platform that this was coming out on. So I went and saw it in theaters like a couple months ago, back in August sometime, and really just like enjoyed the whole thing. I thought all of the actors were great. The the main girl, Birdie, is played by Bella Ramsey, who you might know from being on Game of Thrones. She was like the child warrior queen lady of the North um, in a few episodes. Like, not a major role, but sort of like a fan favorite role. And yeah, I was just like taken by this whole and thing. Andrew Scott plays the dad. Yes, He's hot from priest. Fleabag, yeah. And then Joe Alwyn pops in as a not as a not terrible man. Like, congrats to him. He's really you know, yeah, he's her stretching. uncle, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's her uncle who she has a crush on. And um and then uh you know, is that because Lena Dunham's best friends with Taylor Swift? I don't know. I don't know. But he does a good job. Um yeah, I think what stood out is it's kind of like oh, how do we spin it? It's kind of like Dickinson the show in that it's there's a lot of like what are they called? Like anachronisms where yes. Um, there's like modern talk, modern music, but it's still like sort of set in its own time. So it's not like it's not like they suddenly start rapping or something and it doesn't and there's like it's colorblind casting. So there's like black um, people of wealth and standing and it's never explained like why certain people like it doesn't matter. So it's very like a whimsical retelling of this medieval era, but it still kind of exists in the reality of that space and that everyone's dirty. There's mud and pigs everywhere. They're talking about money and ale and whatever. And so it's like very cute. The, um, uh, the Dev Patel, David Copperfield, um, Mm, I didn't see adaptation from a couple of years ago. But yeah, anyways, go on. Yeah, it's very much like Bridgerton style of like, is this realistic? No, but we're going with it because vibes, you know? It's like, (laughs) um, I found it very charming. I think the Andrew Scott character, obviously he's a scene stealer, but what surprised me about all these characters is that they just bring such a nice humanity to them, even when they're being like problematic you know like even though this guy is kind of a bad dad to his daughter he ultimately is like an understandable lovable guy that you're kind of rooting for and i think that was interesting to see that play out because obviously these stories of the women in the 1200s does not end well for the women like that's just the sad fact of our history like this is not a happy story it shouldn't be but it's it's nice that lena dunham in her writing and her directing has allowed these characters to just be like so warmly presented that you're kind of just like happy to play pretend with them and like go along with it and enjoy the ride and just imagine a world where there is this little family in this little village and the dad does turn out to have a, you know, happy ending for now for her. (laughs) And I think like I – it does this interesting thing. Like it's obviously way more um, detailed and, and uh, planned out than the, than the book. So it alters the ending quite a bit where, um, yeah, Catherine called Catherine birdie is like, she's done away with all these men, but then finally the last man is this really gross, really um, 
dirty, like grimy, yucky kind of guy, old, yeah, old man. And she realizes like she's stuck with him, and she strikes a deal to like just stay a little longer, but then she'll go with him. And the whole story is basically Birdie learning that. Well, she can't always get what she wants. Maybe it's okay as long as she has like her family and like can prove her love to them by doing this thing. And so she's able to get to this place of maturity, this like coming of age moment where she's like willing to take the fall in a way because at least she knows like she'll get to see her family. She'll get to be with them in whatever capacity she can. And it was kind of bittersweet. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, it's sad to watch a 14-year-old have to act this way, but like, sure, let's go along with it. But then the final twist is that her dad realizes that he can't marry her off to this guy, and he like jokingly duels for her, and it's silly and funny, and she gets to stay. And the ending is sort of like, well, I know one day I'll have to get married, but today is not that day, and so for that, I'm grateful. And I thought like that was a nice reminder in these, you know, dark and trying times that like... We aren't always going to have this like happy ending that makes 100% of sense, but like we can find joy in the moment. We can have like joy in our relationships. We can have joy in these like breaths and we can indulge in that and feel good about that and then carry on to see what comes in the next day and the next day and the next day. And so there was something like very charming and whimsical about this that felt very rooted in human relationships and not just like the, the I don't know, kind of uh what is the word i'm trying to find like the uh, easy like machinations of a usual story where it's just like oh this will have to happen like it's not plot convenient or whatever it's just like very character driven and i thought it was really sweet to watch them all interact yeah i mean that's the crazy thing is that i i mean yes the actors are doing a great job of selling this like everyone's very charismatic but I feel like the genius of this entire movie is basically in the script, which is yeah. <laughs> a script that Lena Dunham wrote, which I was like. Yeah. She should like, do more children's stuff because I think she is allowed to just kind of embrace her inner child a little more and and not be so worried about being drab and like, and like I don't know, like her character in Girls is so like, oh, I'm I'm like so woke. I'm like so like above it all. Like, I don't know. There's something so annoying yeah. about it. Maybe she should stick with more like children <laughs> stuff because I feel like this is very successful. And I mean, yeah. I was I obviously don't have a daughter, but I feel like if I had like a you know twelve year old or whatever, that I would love for them to watch this movie. Yeah, like, it it deals with like growing up and sort of that awkward period where you're going from being a kid who can sort of just do whatever and doesn't have a care in the world to being the person who you know, like does have to actually focus on real things that are happening and those consequences. And as much as you want to just stay a kid, like you can't. And like what you were saying about the, you know, colorblind casting, I think it's very fun now that we've sort of unlocked this new way of telling older stories that we are not so stuck on like exactly what the world would look like back then because it is so true that I mean up until like 10 years ago really I mean and even still now sometimes it's like the world sucked if you were a woman if you were black if you were gay if you were poor like all of these groups of people just had miserable 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 existences and were just like any manner of horrible things could be done to them at any moment for any reason and there was no recourse and like to only watch medieval stories that are set in like the actual medieval world is so depressing. Yeah. 
but but obviously we love like castles and horses and princesses and that kind of stuff so to get to like tell versions of that that aren't really like fairy tales but are also just like making like sort of sucking some of those horrible traits out and just leaving the good things is fun to watch there's like a really sweet scene in this where she sort of like realizes that her best friend like uh like might be gay or is gay and i was Mm. just like that is such a cute like moment in this movie yeah and does so much to so because she's like then kind of has this realization that like look like we're not all you know like not everybody um you're like everybody's sort of dealt like unfair hands kind of or like different hands and you sort of have to deal with what you've got and and I don't know I just thought that moment was so well done in this and and it reminded me of like how Downton Abbey has sort of been Mm -hmm. dealing with some of its uh like gay characters in the last couple in the movies specifically and how like even though in 1930s or whatever like there was no good end for them right that they Downton Abbey sort of like managed to find a way to like that's not super realistic but it's like kind of sort of and like finds a happy ending for these people who wouldn't normally have happily happy endings and I don't know I just yeah I really was taken with this movie from like start to finish and really really enjoyed it and also yeah. it looks very yeah good it's very too. pretty it's like all a of very the shots nice... of like the countryside and the villages and yeah everybody's like messy hair and (laughs) like everybody it doesn't everybody looks good in the movie but also it's not doing the where the crawdad sing thing where everybody (laughs) looks like they've been through three hours of hair and makeup before each scene like everybody looks very normal yeah there's like not makeup (laughs) i mean i'm sure there is but it's not like oh she has mascara on and i think that is like there's just something really charming about this little space and i will say like uh you know if we're nitpicking i did you know there was a little bit too many like it felt a little long at places or like there were weird she kept learning the same lesson over before it finally stuck type thing like her relationship with her uncle and her friend having you know kissy and then she wanted to have her first kiss and so there was like a lot going on at times but ultimately it came to like such a sweet space with her and her family that it's like it's really it really endears itself to you by the end. Like you just would love to just go and have a glass of mead with these people. I don't know. I just felt like surprised by the the perfect balance of like yes. Like the whimsy versus the reality because I feel like it's so easy to do this sort of like modernization of uh past stories like a knight's tale i think is the one where it like really leans into this sort of like surrealist retelling of that era with like you know they're singing songs and doing matches and it's very over the top or dickinson which is that apple plus show that's like good but it's also like she's talking to god she's doing her little modern stuff and so it's very distracting very ironic and kind of like oh i'm so edgy and like oh yeah look at me i'm like I don't know. There's like the similar to the latest Jane Austen Netflix film where people were complaining about the language and the anachronisms there because it felt like, okay, like what's the point of this in this context? Whereas here, Lena Dunham very clearly has a vision for the film and she is allowing it to feel modern without feeling like over 
done. Like it's not unrealistic per se, even when it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, also to Lena Dunham's success and not the success of Luckiest Girl Alive, there is a decent amount of voiceover in this movie, but mm, somehow it's like funny and it works. Um, coming of ages yeah she's like narrating like the story and sort of like introducing characters and stuff rather than doing just like snarky asides the whole time Um, yeah yeah and there's just such a affection there like it's clear that and and Lena Dunham has talked about how she's been working on this for 10 years like she optioned it at this like dark time in her life where she wanted to escape back to that childhood love of this book and how you know, the way she said it is, um, I needed to feel comfort. Life had gotten really big all of a sudden, and she wanted to return to these things that gave her a sense of safety. And so she like picked this up when she was 24, got the rights, and then has been working on trying to make it a film. And you can feel that like love for the source material, but also that like thirst and hunger for that for that place of comfort, for that thing of safety, where it is like you get down to the nitty gritty and it's just these weird relationships we make with the friends and family around us where it's like she has this complex relationship with her, you know, sometimes abusive father. But in the end, she realizes like, oh, like, I don't know. I liked watching these little interactions happening around her where, you know, similar to something like I mean, the Florida project's really depressing, but you you're getting to look at these relationships she's not fully understanding, like her parents' love for each other or mm-hmm. her uncle like settling into this relationship with this older woman. And she's not really processing it, but it's there on the page for us to enjoy too. And I loved that that felt like another layer of interesting um, interactions at play and kind of the depth of how we're all just like searching for safety, comfort, familiarity, family, whatever it is, to just feel secure in a life that's never as forgiving as we'd want it to be. I'm intrigued. Like, obviously, I really liked this movie. I, it's done well with critics. I feel like I haven't really seen very much about it, yeah. like, out in the world. But also, I, you know, I feel like that the age that they're probably marketing this to is not, like, me. So I... yeah. I'm, well, it's like, tough. It's like it's not necessarily a kids' movie, even though it's kid friendly. Like I, I would be comfortable letting a kid watch this, but it's not like, it's not like they're airing I, commercials for this on like yeah, Disney I mean, Channel. I, would, I mean, like I wouldn't. I'm not necessarily sure like elementary school kids would watch this, but yeah. I feel like middle schoolers, yeah, would. Um, yeah, it's not clear like who, who this audience is. So I'm sure it's hard to market exactly. I'm. I mean, I would be intrigued to see, like, if because the author Karen Cushman has done a lot of, like, I think she's done a number of this kind of book, these mm. sort of like middle grade, um, yeah. like historical novels about girls. So I wonder if uh, Lena Dunham would think about doing another one if this did well. Yeah. I mean, and to her credit, this character is interesting in that she is kind of the scout of the 1290s you know she feels like that kind of precocious um stubborn and defiant but like sweet and kind person that's just like a wonderful character to sit with so like would it be the same if it was like a young cleopatra i don't know you know (laughs) and bella ramsey the actress does such a good job with it and she just like her She's not like an unattractive 
person necessarily, but she's not like your standard, you know, sort yeah. of like cherubic child star. So it's fun to watch. And and I think most of the people in this movie are sort of like normal looking in a lot of ways um, who aren't like the celebrity celebrities. Yeah. So I think that also adds a nice level to it of that if they feel like very normal people, they don't feel like child actory. Children, yeah, like this they isn't do like the Mad Men little girl. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, she was really charming. I think everyone did a good job. Um, it's honestly just like a nice comfort film. So do I think it will like end up in the Oscar race? Probably not. But it was really sweet and I'd recommend it to people easily. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, anything else on this? Um, I don't think so. Um We'll be uh, off next week. Yeah. Shelby's visiting New York. Yes. For work slash vacation slash mostly to <laughs> hang out with me. Of course. Of course. And then what are we doing in two weeks? Do we know? Is that Taylor Swift's album or is that the next week? That, that I think that is next. Taylor Swift's album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think we'll have to pencil that in. Great. Because that comes out, what, the 21st? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so then we have Taylor Swift. Perfect. Lucky us. I know. How funny. That just works out. Um, the woman is stalking me. If I had known when I signed up to do this uh, podcast that I'd have to do 55 episodes on Taylor <laughs> Swift's albums, I would perhaps have turned it down, but here we are. No, you welcome it. <laughs> hmm. <sighs> okay. Well, on that note, I will see you in a couple of days. <laughs> Everybody else, I'll see you in a week and a half or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, see you guys then. Bye.